Well, if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verse 5 this morning. Why should you follow Jesus? Why should you put your plans for your life on hold, as it were? In fact, even more than putting them on hold, why should we set them aside and put him first? Why should we obey Jesus when the world says, do your own thing? Well, if you want to understand Jesus and you want to understand actually what life's about, we can't start with us. We can't start with our problems. Our problems may bring us to Jesus, but if we only stay focused on our problems and look to Jesus to only help us with our problems, we make Jesus into a maid, someone there to to clean up our lives. Our sin may bring us to Jesus, and it must, it should bring us to Jesus, but we can't. We can't just leave it there because if all we're looking from Jesus is for him to forgive us our sins, we turn him into a doormat where we wipe off our sins and we go on about our own lives our own way. And Jesus is no maid. Jesus is no doormat. He is no mere forgiver of sins. He is the Son of glory. That's what we see in our verse here this morning. We want to consider Jesus' glory and his longing for glory. And we'll not understand Christianity and we'll not grasp really why we should follow him and we'll not be able to fight temptation and we'll not have perspective on life unless we get this. And so I want us this morning to, to, to eavesdrop with the disciples, but to hear it as it were through their ears. Jesus praying this prayer and put together what they know. As they're hearing this, as they hear their friend, who's a carpenter from Nazareth, say, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Imagine, well, not their surprise, because they've been around this Jesus for three years now. But I wonder even still were they surprised as they heard him say this and as they grasped even more who he was. It wouldn't be a shock, but surely there would be more surprise for them. And if you understand who Jesus is and why we should follow him and keep on following him, this is it. And so first of all, we're going to look at the glory he enjoyed. The glory he enjoyed. He says, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. God the Son, who became flesh and grew up to be a man, who came into this world as a little baby, was named Jesus, He didn't start existing in the Christmas story. He had been in existence before time started to tick. In the opening verse of John's Gospel, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In the beginning, He was there. We read from Philippians 2 that He was very nature. In His very nature, He was God. And He didn't consider His equality with God 
here, his equality with God, something to be clung on to. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, we're told that he was rich. So what is this richness like? What is this equality like? What is this glory he had like? I want to see six things. There was unbroken closeness. Unbroken closeness. Have you ever been with someone? Uh, maybe in those early days of, of going out with someone and uh, your little brother or sister came into the room and uh, a moment of closeness and, and intimacy is, is gone. Uh, or you're, you're in a deep conversation with a, a friend that you've known for years and you haven't seen them for some time and somebody else comes along and just sort of stands there and, and they would like to be part of the conversation, but you're trying to catch up. And the moment of closeness is, 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 is gone. The intimacy is broken. And Jesus had with the Father and the Spirit before time began this incredible, undisturbed closeness. In John chapter 1, we're told, No one has ever seen God, but he who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Literally, it's he who is on the Father's bosom. It, it, it's, it's a picture of real closeness and intimacy. It, it, it's taken from the, the meal table where they reclined on couches in the ancient world. And the place of honour was to the right-hand side of the host. And if you, as you were reclining to speak to the host, you would lean back, reclining on their, their chest. And it, was, it was face-to-face. It was close and intimate. And tender. And the Son, God the Son says, that's my Father and I. We are close. There's a a rich closeness. He says, the glory I had with you. And throughout Scripture we get glimpses of this. In Matthew 3, at the baptism of Jesus, heaven is opened and a voice says, this is my Son whom I love. Jesus is telling a parable speaks of himself and he says he had one son, or sorry, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. John 3, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. John 5, 20, the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus says in John 10, the reason my father loves me. And so he goes on. There's a real closeness. That's what he had before time began. Secondly, and we'll come to see why all this matters. Hold hold these thoughts in your head. Build the picture. There was unclouded joy. Unclouded joy. You've had those moments where you think you could burst. You're so filled with joy. Maybe with family or friends and you wish it could go on forever. That's minuscule compared to the joy that Jesus had in glory, before he came into the world. In Psalm 16, the Holy Spirit describes what that was like. He says, in the words of the psalmist, he says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, eternal pleasures at your right hand. There, Jesus was not exposed to temptation or trial. There, he was not subject to reproach or ridicule or shame or pain. There was no unbelief. There was no spittle or taunts or mockery. There was no cross. 
unclouded joy. Thirdly, there was unrestrained deity or unrestrained godness. Here's the glory of his person. In him there was nothing but excellence. He was God, fully God, very God. And we read in Philippians 2 that he made himself nothing. He didn't lose, hear that, he didn't lose any of his godness, any of his deity. But he cloaked it in flesh. He restrained it. He allowed his glory to be overshadowed, clouded as it were. But in glory, in his existence before he came into the world, there was no such restraining. From him shone the full radiance of the Father's glory, the Spirit's glory, the Son's glory. Not a ray of it was veiled or hidden. It was unrestrained and unlimited. All his perfections were displayed fully and perfectly. You begin to get a grasp of of the majesty there was. And then fourthly, there was unrivaled honor. At that time, before he came into the world, he was above all and adored by all, worshipped, every knee bowed, every tongue confessed in the heavenly realms that Jesus was Lord. He was subject to no one, the very King of glory, Before him every power and angel and demon submitted, every knee bowed. Yet he's going to come to earth and it'll be very different. More of that in a minute. But then there's untarnished beauty, unrivaled honor in a place of untarnished beauty. Not only was his own glory allowed free reign, but in the place where he was, was glory untainted, unstained by anything, unflawed. Think of those photographs you've seen of some of the most amazing places on the planet. They are a shoddy hole compared to the stunning beauty of God's presence. I'll not even say heaven, for it's more than that. It's the very presence of God himself is stunningly beautiful. Psalm 96 calls it the beauty of holiness. And that's where God the Son was. Untarnished beauty. And then unequaled riches. A place of unequaled riches. He didn't hunger or thirst. There was no lack or deprivation. All of the boundless wonder of God's infinite presence was there to be enjoyed. And we haven't got knowledge or imaginations to grasp it. I can't paint it up to picture it for you. It's simply summed up by Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. He was rich. He was rich. The disciples hear this request that they can fill in from Scripture in the Old Testament. They know glimpses of what it was like, what this glory was. And they hear it coming from the lips of the carpenter from Nazareth. Who is he? This is who he is. He's God of God. Fully God. Completely God. Try and get your head around it. They would marvel. They would hear in their minds echoes 
Let there be light. The world will start to spring into being. That's who's praying in front of us. They would hear the angel say, Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. They say, that's, that's that man in front of us. They would hear God proclaiming to Moses, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion. That's him standing there in front of us. Stop and marvel at where he had come from. See, gone are all the notions, for example, that the Mormons have, that Jesus is a created being who attained greatness and somehow was promoted to being God. Give me that glory I had with you before the world began. Gone is the notion that Jesus is a prophet like Islam teaches. He's more than a prophet. He's God. Gone is the idea that Jesus is just a good teacher. Give me that glory I had with you before the world began. The glory he enjoyed. But then secondly, holding all that in your head, think of this. The glory that he left. Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had. I had. Past tense. He had it, but he doesn't have it. He has left it behind. He has left it. He is no longer in a place of unrivaled honor, unequaled riches, untarnished beauty, unbroken joy. He is no longer unrestrained in his godness. It's cloaked and covered. He is no longer or will no longer be in a place of unbroken closeness to the Father and to the Spirit. He's left behind that glory. A glory that we struggle to imagine and no comparison worked. I could tell you about a famous cricketer who left behind the glory of being world famous as a sportsman and went to be a missionary in China and then India and then Africa and lived his life in oblivion. Or I could tell you of Elizabeth, Queen of Hungary in the 13th century, who left her palace and her royal finery and gave her riches to the poor and went and lived amongst the poor and died amongst the poor. But that doesn't even begin to capture the Creator becoming part of the creation. Now, he's not stepping down the rungs on the ladder because he's not even on the ladder. The, the ladder is made up of creatures at the top, we could say, as an archangel and then an angel. And then somewhere down there's us and then down here there's caterpillars and slugs and earthworms. But as one writer says, he is as high above an archangel as above a caterpillar. For the gulf that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite, while the gulf that separates the archangel from Christ is infinite. And he came into this world. And he left that glory behind, that unbroken closeness, that unclouded joy, that unrestrained deity. He left behind the unrivaled honor the untarnished beauty, the unequaled riches. He left it behind. Why? Why? Why did he do that? Because we didn't need God among us. 
We didn't need him to come as God in glory and splendor. You and I needed a substitute who could live a life that we couldn't live. A perfect life that would satisfy the holiness of God. And we needed someone who would die in the place of countless rebels and sinners like you and me. And where can you find a substitute who could live day by day a perfect life? You can't. You look around all the world and you'll not find a perfect person who could do it. Where could you find somebody of such infinite value and worth whose, whose one life could be enough to rescue and to pay for all the sins that you and I have created? Where could you find such a being? Well, you'll not find him on this planet. And so the Son left that glory and took on human nature with its weaknesses and frailties. He, that being that we've looked at, got tired. He hungered. He hurt. He became troubled. He bled. He died. His glory was restrained for our good. He left that and restrained that so that we could have a substitute like us. He lived here for 33 years in an ordinary backwater village surrounded by the plainness and ugliness of life to die on a smouldering rubbish heap because we needed a saviour. And he of all people, from where he came, was nailed naked to a cross, suffering the curse of God, his honour ignored, his riches gone, his beauty marred beyond human likeness, sorrowing unto death, restraining his mighty deity because he could have come down off the cross with ease. The nails weren't holding him there. His self-restraint was holding him there. And he cries out, and listen, where's the closeness now? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul answers it in 2 Corinthians 8. He was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. For our sakes he became poor. We needed a saviour. He left glory. He left glory so that we could have a saviour, so that we could enjoy and see the glory of God. You see, if you don't see that, if you don't put him at the center for all that he was, then you'll put yourself at the center and the cross becomes almost reasonable. Oh, of course God would come to rescue me. What nonsense. The more you grasp the splendor, the more you'll be amazed that this God would have done this for me. Thirdly, the glory that he received He's now completed that work, that perfect life. Finished. He says, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. A perfect record to cover our guilty record. And he's about to die that death and he'll cry out again, it is finished. To die that death that we should have died for all the wrong that we did. Now he says, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world began. 
You can almost sense a, a homesickness. Father, I want a home. Bring me home to that glory. And he's going to receive glory, first in the resurrection and then in the ascension. And we read in Philippians 2, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. Paul uses a word here, he says, not just exalted him, but it's got a little word in front of it that in English we can still know. It's the word hyper. He hyper-exalted him. He, he exalted him and raised him to the highest place and placed him above every power and authority, rule and dominion, above every name that could be named. Placed all things under his feet. The veil is removed. The restraining is loosed. The glory is unleashed. There's no more weakness. No more tiredness. No more limitations. You see, don't write Jesus off because when you look at Jesus in the Bible, he seems so ordinary. Because his church seems so ordinary, don't write him off because he is the Lord of glory and he sits enthroned and one day he's coming back and we will see him in all his glory. His beauty is now untarnished. His deity is unrestrained. His honour is unrivaled. There is unbroken closeness. Unclouded joy, unequaled riches, untarnished beauty, the glory he received. And why, why should we think of this? Well, we'll see in a moment some other applications, but let's just note, fourthly, the glory he shares. We'll come to this later in the chapter, but now that we've got this vision in our heads of, of, of what he enjoyed, Cast your eye down to verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Father, I want to be glorified with the glory I had with you before the world began. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Wow! 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. The Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And the next bit of the verse says this, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So that you might become rich. This glory that we've been struggling to get a a grip of, to get a flavor of, is what he left, what he has received, but what he holds out to his people. Remember the John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Passion and patience. The little child who wanted it all now. And the one who's going to wait. And Christian learned. It's better to wait for the glory that the king brings. We read in Hebrews 2. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now crowned with glory and honour. In the very next verse it says. In bringing many sons To glory. Yes, there's a glory that we've looked at that belongs only to Him. Only He is divine. Only He has unrivaled honor. But oh, look at those other four points the unbroken closeness. 
If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've asked his perfect life to be credited to your account, if you've asked his, his death to be in your place then, the unbroken closeness that he had and that he longed to be restored, that is yours and will be yours. That unclouded joy will be yours. That untarnished beauty, both in us and around you, will one day be yours. The unequaled riches will be yours. This is the destiny of Christ's people. What a saviour. He left glory so that he could display the glory of God and bring us to the glory of the Father. The glory he shared now. Let me finish with some brief applications. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you're not yet a Christian, don't, don't please ignore this glory. Don't ignore the one who the Father has exalted to the highest place, that one day before whom every knee will bow, because a day will come when you will recognize his glory, but that day will be too late. It will be too late. Don't ignore his glory. Don't, don't think that you could somehow appease the holy God by how you live. If it took God himself to leave that splendor and come to this place to die that death, so that you could be accepted, please don't tell me that you think yourself glorious enough to be able to do it yourself. You can't do it. It took a being of infinite worth, an infinite being who was infinitely loved to make up for the infinite insult of your sin and mine. Don't, whatever you do, ignore this glory. Come and say to him, do that for me. Do that for me. Rescue me. Be my Savior and bow before Him and say, Forgive me for ignoring your glory. I want you to be first in my life. Second application. If if you've put your trust in Christ, oh, be amazed. Be amazed at this. One preacher said this. He said, Which of us dwelling in infinite comfort, would be willing to put it off to endure infinite wrath. Who has ever left what Christ left to receive what Christ received? Who has ever loved like Christ has loved? Be amazed. The Apostle Paul said, he spoke of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Be amazed. Be determined to bring him glory. Be determined to bring him glory. If he was prepared to do that, all of that, how can I not live for him? If you have put your trust in Christ, can we not say along with the disciples? Ought we not to say along with the disciples, Lord, We have left all things to follow you. Is there anything that we would hold back and say, no, I'll I'll not give you this 
Be determined to live to bring him glory with every fiber of your being. And then the flip side of the coin is be determined to do nothing to dishonor one so glorious. If you're a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. This one who left this closeness so that you could have it. Who experienced such sorrow so that you could experience a joy that will be unclouded for eternity. One who restrained his divinity so that you could enjoy being in the presence of God. One who made himself of no account, who deserved all honor so that you could receive honor. And yet we might trample his name through the dirt. What a terrible thing. What a terrible thing that we would bring dishonor on one so glorious. Be determined to do nothing to bring him dishonor. What is it that seems to compete for our affections alongside this glorious being? Doesn't it seem shabby in comparison? Or maybe you've been going through a really tough time. And the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to suffer as one of his people. And if you look at your own struggles, it can be hard to keep going. But let us be like patience in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Let us look at what he did for us. Let us look at what he left for us and how he suffered for us. And let us look at what he has in store for us and say it's enough. It's enough. I'll hang in there. So look forward with anticipation. Whether you're suffering, whether you're finding life hard, whatever it is, look forward with anticipation if you've put your trust in Christ. As it is with the head, so it is with the rest of the body. Christ our head has been glorified. And one day the rest of his body will be too. You're part of that body if you've put your trust in him. He prayed, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And that prayer is now answered. Verse 24, he says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. And that prayer will just as certainly be answered. So look forward with anticipation and long for glory. Amen. If you're able, let's stand as we come to God in prayer. O Lord God, we bow, we bow in admiration and awe and wonder that the Son would leave such a place of splendor and glory and honor and majesty and renown and come to a cross to be spat on and to be nailed to a cross in shame-filled nakedness, to be ridiculed and mocked and to have our sins heaped on him We marvel that he would leave there and come to to that place so that we who deserved hell 
could go to His place. Lord, forgive us for treating lightly the King of glory. Lord God, forgive us for playing in the mud puddles of this life and thinking that this is glorious. Forgive us, Lord God, for valuing the things of this muddy little planet above the King of glory. Lord, refocus our perspective. Reorient our lives that we might live for such a glorious King. And Lord, we pray for those maybe here or maybe in our families who aren't yet bowing before such a great King. And Lord, may they bow now before that great and dreadful day when the King comes in all His glory and every knee will bow, some in glad-hearted surrender and some with reluctance. Lord, we pray that they would bow now in glad-hearted surrender before that day dawns and Christ returns in His glory. O Lord God, we thank You that He will come. And we thank that He is returning to make everything new and to make everything majestic. And we thank You that there will be unbroken closeness between us and the triune God. We thank You that there will be unclouded joy. And I pray for Your people whose joy is clouded at the moment because they are called by You to face trial and difficulty. Give them a glimpse of the glory that is theirs to come. Father, we thank you there will be untarnished beauty. There will be unequaled riches. And Lord, Lord, set our heart's desire there rather than here. And we pray that we would live in such a way that people would ask us to give a reason for the hope that we've got. And we can explain to them that there's something majestic that we're living for and someone majestic that we follow. We ask it for Jesus' sake and Jesus' glory. Amen.